Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to I Heart Animation. I'm so excited to be doing another episode on an animated film. Last year, I don't think I did any podcast episodes on animation that weren't specifically for another project, like a Christmas episode or every version ever or the Disney Movie Marathon. In fact, in going back through the titles I've already done, I think the last time I covered an animated title outside of the context of any other series was October 2020, when Sarah and I did a deep dive into Over the Garden Wall. Hopefully this year I can remedy this oversight. I have a bunch of iHeart Animation episodes planned, some for other series, but I also have several recorded or scheduled to record based on standalone titles, and I'm so excited to share those, starting with today's episode, The Last Unicorn. I watched this movie as a kid, and I remember liking it despite how different it was from other animated movies I'd watched at the time. It wasn't one that fully stuck with me though, as I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, even though I would think of it from time to time, especially that theme song. When I started this podcast, it was one I had in the back of my mind to cover eventually. I even bought the DVD a couple years ago, so finally I decided this year it's going to be one of the first ones I do. Joining me today is Nikki from Trivial Theater. I asked her to do this one with me because even though I hadn't seen it in years, I remembered that it was weird, and her channel is all about weird movies, many of which are from the 80s, like this one is, so I figured she'd be the perfect guest. So, had you seen The Last Unicorn before I suggested doing it for the podcast? This was, I've heard about it for years, but this was the first time I'd ever seen it. And okay. everybody, I kind of, because I, I felt like I had to discuss it after I saw it. And everybody I talked to either, like, they had heard of it or they grew up on it. So, you know, there's that, there's that nostalgia trip that kind of goes along with anything from our childhoods or, you know, mm-hmm. things you watch as a kid. It was just, I, I can see from a kid perspective, this being like, you know, it's like um, the secret of Nim or any of those, um, like those early 90 or early 80s movies where they've got that really dark, um, that dark kind of feel like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're just like, they're built to be dark or yeah. they're built to be very, to have those moments or anything that's rated PG from that era you know you look at it and go how did how did this not get rated you know pg-13 or r you know and it's like to my dvd case this is rated g and i was shocked (laughs) i remember seeing something about that i think the original was released as g but then um it was re-released as pg-13 on like one of the later versions this was released before the pg-13 ratings so yeah that might have been why. I remember reading something on the rating. Here we go. Despite being rated G by the MPAA, female nudity is briefly seen. Additionally, swear, swearing and substance abuse is also found in this movie. Two years later, these were taken out of the G-rated version, but were kept in the PG-13 version. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, well, I must have the the g version that has all the stuff that should have been pg-13 then <laughs> i guess so yeah like the, the the fact that they didn't have a thing with like you know a tree with a rather large chest but were kind of put off by the fact that prince lear said damn uh, that was the, uh, that would be the least of my concerns <laughs> <laughs> Some people get upset about the weirdest things like really that th- this over here didn't bother you, but this did. 
Yeah. Everybody's got different, but everybody's got different levels of what constitutes like bad stuff. Yeah. That's you know? true. Like look at, look at people that are into horror. You know, you get, you get the folks that are, Oh, well, you know, this person got decapitated. That's not a big deal, but that there's, there's, <laughs> there's an intimate scene and people go crazy. You know, it's just, it's, it's that different levels of, of what makes up, um, what makes something bad or not bad. Yeah, that is, that is true. I guess I'm a lot more tolerant these days <laughs> than I was a long time ago. So, yeah. Well, and too, you know, the people that look at this, that grew up with it. I imagine, you know, you do have a blind spot for the stuff you grew up with. Well, like, that, it, it kind of makes me, I watched this as a kid. I watched it like um, my uncle used to hit record at night on the Disney channel and just give me the tape. Like oh, wow. whatever, it, whatever it was, I, I got, that's how I saw a ton of old Disney movies. Cause they had something called nice. vault Disney and they would play old Disney movies. So that's why I'm so familiar with so many old Disney movies, but this played one night. So I had this on a VHS from the Disney channel and I'm kind of wondering, did, did I get a censored version? Cause I don't remember a bunch of the stuff that was in this. That's possible. <laughs> the, the harpy specifically, I do not, re- I've, I, I don't know how they would censor that though. It'd be a massive part taken out and regarded the movie itself is, is I guess it's an hour and a half movie. So, I mean, in theory, they'd, they'd cut it down for TV to start with. And like that particular part of the movie, it's not, it, there's so much in this movie that like you could pluck out and you wouldn't necessarily miss it. Like until well, they I get know- to the castle, they really don't, you know, yeah. there's other pieces, but it's not like you could lose them and not really you know, you could go on and not realize it wasn't there, but that's still a big part. Well, I know the harpy was in it because I remember the harpy and I remember what happened to Mommy Fortuna. So uh, the harpy was in there and I, I just don't remember the harpy <laughs> going crazy. The, the, well, the anatomically correct. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I feel like that would have made a, more of an impression on me, but I guess either they censored it somehow or little kid me just didn't notice. I mean, you could, if you didn't, and I think adult I probably minds, didn't know what it was because she I had was so much fur say, too. Yeah. I mean, you could have seen that as like an additional layer of like, of, of, like you said, fur or, you know, just like, you know, appendage things hanging or like, look mm-hmm. at, um, look at, uh, God, what's his name? The uh, wizard, uh, sh- uh I'm going to screw it up. Schmedrick. Remember Schmedrick. I think okay. it's Schmen- Schmendrick with an N. Schmendrick. It's a weird name. It's totally weird. Like at first, like I thought, like, you know, Hendrick Schmendrick. Okay. Got to keep that in my head. If I do it, if I screwed up again, I apologize. Why can't his name be like just Rick or Schmender? Anyway. Bill the wizard. <laughs> exactly. Bill. <laughs> there are some who call me Tim. <laughs> um, but uh, if you look at uh, uh, the wizard Schmendrick's like bag, like his travel bag, it does still have it does have some of the same look as the harpies like appendages. <laughs> really? A little bit, yeah. Like it's got it kind of has like two or three little boppy things at the bottom of it, and there's like little tassels hanging from it. Was it supposed to have been made of a harpy or something? I didn't I don't, notice that at all. I don't think so. I, I think I, I just was like watching and it's like, oh, that's weird. And again, that might just be my weird brain seeing things, but <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that's like, I, I think I saw the harpy and then I saw that and it's like, oh, 
is it supposed to be a connection between them? You know, because I guess I get so used to like looking at the background for stuff. Like that's kind of how my brain works. Well, there was a lot in the background that you could look for in this. Oh yeah, tons. And I'm Especially sure you probably you castle. And I'm sure you saw a lot more than what I did. So well, I guess we can start at the beginning. That is an excellent place to start. So, Sorry. <laughs> so it opens with two hunters riding through the woods and they're discussing how this is a unicorn's forest and they're not going to catch anything here because creatures that live in unicorn forest learn magic of their own specifically they can disappear mm-hmm. and they're leaving and the hunter calls out to the unicorn telling her to stay where she is because she's the last of her kind which is apparently news to her she had no idea <laughs> Can you, can you imagine just some random guy like walking through your woods and going, oh, hey, by the way, you're the last of your kind. Like, you know, wouldn't you like, like, you know, give him a gift and be like, hey, I'm so sorry that you're the last of your kind or something like, and I joke, but, you know, I just like, it's such a weird, like, you're having this conversation, but you're saying it really loud. Clearly, you're trying to insult this poor unicorn that has no one left. <laughs> It, well, it would be a weird thing to overhear. Very much. Or, or to have yelled at you from, <laughs> from a stranger. In case there are any unicorns around, you're the last one. And this leads into the theme song. What did you think of the music in this movie? I actually really like it's got that not all of it worked but like the theme song was really good i thought yeah the 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 whole soundtrack is very of the time oh yeah like the whole thing was done by a band called america which i i don't know outside of this movie so they did um the song a horse with no name i when i, I looked them up and i recognized some titles so I guess I kind of knew them. I just didn't know that they'd done specific songs. Right. And I think that's the case with a lot of bands of that era. It's like, you know, the music, yeah, but you'd probably. have no idea who the actual band is. Mm-hmm. Like, I even remember, um, you know, them being advertised as like their greatest hits or whatever. But yeah, as far as the actual, I couldn't pick them out in a lineup by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they've kind of, I don't know that it's entirely this movie but this is like they're ma- one of the main things that they're known for now because everybody knows the last unicorn or at least people who are part of the last unicorns cult, cult following <laughs> the, people in the know <laughs> yeah but i i kind of love the soundtrack even though it's like so out of place for the type of story yeah like you're you normally you ex- expect something like john williams or some other grand fantasy composer does a sweeping score yeah you're absolutely right especially um a little bit later into it when um the unicorn comes up against the red bull like that whole that whole soundtrack piece there just doesn't work at all it's the complete opposite of what you'd expect Mm -hmm. for that that point in time yeah and but the parts where it like turns almost into a music video, I kind of love those parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you think about like Fire and Ice and some of the other um, movies that like car- animated movies that would have come out at this time. I don't know if that was a trend or not, but you definitely saw that in other pieces of that era. 
but yeah the 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 main theme song the last unicorn even like years after i had seen the movie like i haven't until now i hadn't seen this for years like i bought the dvd a long time ago and still and watched it but i remembered that song like that song stuck with me more than a lot of the stuff in the movie did just that main last unicorn theme song i, I really like that song oh yeah and it's 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 got the lyrics get a little funky but the the tune itself is very it's actually very good yeah and i like how it, it has a feel of I don't know how to put it like uh, the kind of fantasy sci-fi stuff from probably that era, but like maybe like imagining some sort of dystopian future, like, yeah, the, there, the, there's the, a melon, there's a melancholy to it. Yeah. Especially like at the beginning, like when the last Eagle cries, <laughs> <laughs> like at, at the talk about the last of all these things, like it's the end of, the end of the world basically but mm-hmm. i i just really like that song no agreed i i enjoyed it too it was very very good so you're in good company there but yeah you get some of these movies like this and it's like there's such a i mean whether you're talking about like the secret of nim or um plague dogs or some of those it's just like it's not even i suppose it's just a darkness it's not like you know rainbows and literal unicorns it's it's there's like there's a sorrow to it mm-hmm. you know yeah and like are... even though even though the last unicorn at the very end generally has a happy ending it's not a it's not a happy it's a, ending it's a bittersweet ending yeah, yeah very much like everything ends the way it probably should but it's not like you know they ride off into the sunset you know you know as a rainbow forms overhead or whatever <laughs> Yeah, this is not a Disney movie, which no. I love Disney movies, but sometimes sometimes I like movies that are more like this one. <laughs> <laughs> but even a lot of Disney movies don't necessarily have like the end all be all happy ending. You That's know? true. Like more modern ones do, but um like I don't know. It's been forever since I've seen like the Black Cauldron, but like Labyrinth or Labyrinth, you know, I don't know. Some of those don't I was necessarily thinking of the Fox and the Hound. <laughs> that too, that too. Uneven. But this, and I guess we talk high high fantasy, and this is kind of in that realm. But like you look at Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, mm-hmm. again they end the way that they're probably supposed to, but the endings are very bittersweet. Yeah, I guess that's one thing we haven't touched. The this movie was made by the same people who did the animated version of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which I haven't watched yet. But that's still that's another on my long list of things to eventually watch. Uh, I've not seen The Hobbit, but the Lord of the Rings movie is, it's fascinating from a trivia perspective. Like the way that they did it is, is just like as a kid that scared the crap out of me, the way they do the ring rates, especially like there's just this, it's not uncanny Valley. I, they, they basically took the footage, footage of people riding horses and turned it into animation sort of. And it's just hoping. Yeah. And thank you for the proper terms, but it is, it is genuinely kind of terrifying to a kid. I, and maybe even, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do that one sometime. Cause that one yeah. has been one that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. Both oh, yeah. the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And I think the, the styles are quite different, but um, the Lord of the Rings one for sure is, is um, it has some moments where you're like, Oh, okay. I'm going to go over and, and hide behind the couch for a few minutes. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I remember when I was a kid seeing those at the library, and I I didn't like the look of them, so I never wanted to check them out. That's okay. You have that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is by Rankin Bass, who made those other ones. But they also are they're most famous for like their Christmas specials, like mm-hmm. Rudolph and Frosty. And I thought it was hilarious because I was watching the behind the scenes stuff after I finished the movie, and. Peter S. Beagle, who's the author and who also wrote the screenplay for the movie, said that basically they only went with Rankin Bass because nobody else would take them. And he was he didn't <laughs> like the idea because he hated everything that Rankin Bass had done. Oh my God. <laughs> like he hated Frosty and Rudolph. He didn't think that they were going to be capable of making this into a good movie. So he was like at the end when they finally finished the movie and he watched it he was like and i didn't know what to say because it was so good (laughs) like they actually made a good film (laughs) oh my god (laughs) well and the people that animated this um i'm trying to find what the actual company name was here it went on it's like top 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 craft yeah and it went on to become studio ghibli yeah that was, uh, I had read that like a, a month ago, like an article that said something like the last unicorn is secretly a Studio Ghibli movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess in a way, because a lot of the animators did end up moving on to Studio Ghibli, because I think this Topcraft went out of business and then Miyazaki like either bought them out or just got all the animators to move on to his company. Ah, So in a way, it is kind of a Studio Ghibli film, but not exactly because it's it was Rankin Bass. Like they were in charge of the whole thing. They were right. they had final say in everything, and the the animators just did what they were supposed to. And like some things, they were like allowed to give their own ideas on. Like in the documentary, they talked about how sometimes they really liked. The Japanese influence, the Red Bull specifically, is very Japanese anime inspired. Uh-huh. But other things, they completely mistranslated and didn't understand what they wanted, so they had to like go back to the drawing board with. So uh-huh. they they took some of their ideas, but in the end, like everything was from Rankin Bass and that team. Like they had the final say on everything. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if I mean, being that they're the company over top of it, I mean, you got to kind of do what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say when the unicorn is in human form, just the way that she's drawn, like even her outline, like everybody else has a very clear dark or black outline and hers is kind of more brownish. Like she looks ethereal. She doesn't look like she belongs mm. like everything else. And I'd say she has a very strong anime look. Like I would, yeah. if you picked her out of that and like popped her, just on her own you'd say oh it looks like an anime piece at least and i'm i'm no anime expert by any stretch but just Mm -hmm. the way she's drawn like gives it that feel Mm -hmm. yeah i could see that and her eyes too very much because everybody else's eyes are very i i don't know like i suppose like you say that like from what i've seen of artwork from the hobbit it gives it very much that feel yes then it is a very, very 80s style of doing business. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, back to the point where we were in the movie. <laughs> Sorry. That was <laughs> that a was real fine. tangent. <laughs> I'm proud of us. 
it had a point though it was, yeah, it, was on, it was on topic <laughs> true <laughs> so the unicorn after the after the theme song the unicorn is talking about being the last and she doesn't actually believe she's the last she's like this can't be i'm sure she probably because the events that led to her being the last i think have been recent enough that she probably feels like she saw a unicorn recently right they live for like thousands of years so she probably saw one like 50 years ago and thought (laughs) (laughs) i just saw somebody the other day exactly exactly (laughs) so she's talking about being the last and not believing it and then this butterfly comes along who he barely made any sense (laughs) like i think that's the point i'm not sure like i haven't read the book i should probably read this book but the butterfly didn't it didn't sound like he was making a whole lot of sense except he talks about the red bull and it like chased all the unicorns into the sea something like that that's part of his ramblings he said a whole lot of other stuff that i don't remember but that's the important part yeah he sang like a lot like he'd go from from one song to the next and then he'd you know tell something of that of of note and then he jumped right back into singing uh-huh. and it was like he'd go from i don't think he did oh danny boy but like like molly malone to some show tune to back to something else and he was all over the board yeah he kind of reminded me of merlin and sword of the stone or the genie and aladdin oh yeah like, kind of he made a lot of anachronistic references very much. stuff that he shouldn't know for the time he's supposed to be in yeah he's a he's a he's a time lord <laughs> oh yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like why, why don't you know if he keeps bothering you like this miss unicorn maybe maybe just like poke him with your horn Maybe make him explode. I don't think it, the world would be less if he wasn't there. And she wouldn't regret it because unicorns don't regret. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that is a very good point. <laughs> Another thing that the butterfly says is that people can't see what she is. They will only see a white mare. So if somebody sees her out in the woods, they're just going to see a horse. Which and is and kind this of important was later. Yeah, and this was the one point that I, I kind of had a question about, because later on, they talk about how people have forgotten about unicorns, and that's why they see, that's why they don't see them as unicorns. Is that ever said anything more about, or is it just that, like, there's a certain magic to unicorns where humans don't see them as unicorns? I'm not really sure. There was a lot in this movie that I feel like doesn't make a lot of sense if you really start thinking about it it's more like fairy tale logic like true things true. happen and if you, you if you start questioning it it might the story might start falling apart <laughs> like how does this character know the specific thing and then i i just had to tell myself it's a fairy tale right <laughs> don't it, don't think too hard on it it's a because plot level of thing yeah kind of well that's fair which is fine for the kind of story that this is i'm not looking oh for, yeah something that makes perfect sense well not even the best of movies makes perfect sense there's always ways to poke holes and stuff so but no in this particular instance yeah i I understand what you mean i liked the touch here where she's deciding to leave and she's going to go try and find where the unicorns went and she's there's like this whole crowd of animals behind her and I liked that there was some dodos in the crowd. <laughs> oh my God, that was so funny. All I was thinking was, why, why are there 
Why are there dodos? <laughs> I mean, it's good to see them alive and kicking, but, um, and those, those two bears, I, I just, uh, they look like they had been through some stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's why they moved into her forest so they could learn magic to hide. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Or at and least learn the some new news. They, they learned how to hide. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's why they're extinct they're not actually extinct they're just magic now yeah well you know they're discovering new species all the time you know some version of a dodo might pop up someplace uh, sure yeah <laughs> i liked that when she leaves the first person she comes across tries to capture her mistaking her for a white mare like the butterfly said but mm-hmm. i liked that she was like horribly insulted <laughs> Okay, so her her Winnie, like her, yeah, I guess her Winnie, that mm-hmm. was the most weird thing. To that point, that was the weirdest thing about this movie. It's like, that, that just sounds like a, such a strange, and I suppose being a unicorn it wouldn't have a horse's Winnie, but that was so weird to me. Hmm. I wonder what they recorded to get the noise. Honestly, it kind of sounded like the person doing the voice acting a little bit. So maybe they had... I don't know, maybe they can bind like that person's voice or did they had them do it and then did something else to it? I mean, I early know. 80s synth, you have to love. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that. Yes. So she gets away from this insulting person <laughs> and she decides that if this guy can't see what she truly is, maybe the other unicorns aren't actually gone nobody can see them as unicorns. They're probably just like hiding in plain sight. So she keeps going. There's another music video break here. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how far she goes because she like travels through basically four seasons worth of stuff. I want to know exactly how long the time frame for this movie is because they also lived at at King Haggard's castle for a long time. There's multiple seasons happening there. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think the time frame of this movie, well, it goes by pretty quick. I I would say it's probably at least a year, if not two. Yeah. Can you imagine just like standing on the balcony every single day for like a year? Not really, no. Me neither. <laughs> at least change your balcony so you got different perspectives. Well, he gets a different perspective at the end. So <laughs> true. Oh, yeah, <laughs> now, spoilers. You're 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 jumping way ahead of okay. yourself, Jonathan. <laughs> well, after the next America song, she comes to Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival, <laughs> and there's a sign that says "Creatures of Night Brought to Light," which it's apparently a carnival filled with all sorts of magical creatures. But the unicorn later realizes that none of them are magic except for one. Mm-hmm. They're all just disguised. Like it's a regular animal that she's enchanted so that the people who come to the carnival think that they're seeing a magical animal. And they're they're super pitiable. Like there's a, a poor old lion without teeth. There's a monkey with like a twisted foot. Mm-hmm. There's some I don't remember, I don't think there was anything with the snake, but the there was a drag. Was the snake the dragon? I think the I, snake was the dragon. There was a manticore, which was the um, the lion, oh, and then the uh, satyr was the monkey. Yeah. The voice cast of this was such a like they had some 
big names for this. Yeah, more than I even realized. I remember yeah. from when I was a kid that Angela Lansbury played Mommy Fortuna because I remember thinking that that was so weird that sweet grandmotherly Angela Lansbury, who played Mrs. Potts and was so adorable, was was this hideous witch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even just like, like they have these massive actors, but they're playing these roles that are tiny. Like Keenan yeah. Wynn played the harpy. So yeah, really- I, that, was, that was so <laughs> random. I know. I looked up the, he's not a pirate, the guy in the woods. And that was also Keenan Wynn. Cully, yeah, but, Captain Cully. Yeah, so I looked him up just to see, because I recognized the voice. I was like, what, really? That's, because I know him from like old Disney movies. Because he was in so many, like he played like Alonzo Hawk in like several. Mm-hmm. And so he's like a big old Disney movie person. I was like, really? He's that's who the and then it said, and he also played the harpy. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 well, even Paul Freeze, like um And he played the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, it's like you've got these act and regarded looking at um Paul Freese's his videography, he played a lot of rank and bass stuff, so it makes sense. Okay. But I just it almost feels I, I mean, like we it know should be him under- as Professor Ludwig von Drake from Disney cartoons, the crazy yeah. old scientist duck. <laughs> no, agreed, agreed. And he played like um the voice of Jack Frost in Frosty's Winter Wonderland. Um he was in the Hobbit, Nestor. He's been in a lot of stuff, like as far as voice work. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, again, you've got these, it almost feels like they should be under like additional voices because their, their part is so small. Yeah. There's, aside from like the main three or four characters, everybody else is almost a bit part, but they're like still important. Yeah. No, agreed. So agreed. it's hard to say that they're a cameo. It's just, it's kind of interesting that they got so many big names. And some of them I found out from watching the behind the scenes stuff. Like some, some of the people were like begging to be part of this because they had read the book. Really? Like, I think Jeff Bridges was begging to be in it in some capacity because he loved the book. And then I think also, I'm, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Renee Aubergenois. <laughs> oh, I loved his role in this one, like the skull, the skeleton. Yeah. Oh my god, I, I think he's probably my favorite, one of my two favorite characters in this. I I feel like I remembered that character, but I had forgotten most about it. And I feel like I've seen another similar character because I think we were talking about this movie last year sometime, and I remembered a scene with a skeleton drinking wine. But I remember the wine falling down through the bones. That did not happen in this. So I think I'm mixing it up with something else. But I had forgotten how hilarious the skeleton was. (laughs) (laughs) So even though I had forgotten his scene specifically, I really liked what I had forgotten. Like, he's hilarious. Oh, he does a great job. Like, of all the characters, he's one of the most animated and enjoyable. Yeah. Well, he, I know that he was I know oh, really into his character. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, and Christopher Lee um, voiced the the obviously his role as Haggard, but he also did the German version too when they when they uh, dubbed it over. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense because 
I, I again, I'm, I just watched the behind the scenes stuff, so that's why I keep referring to it. It's fresh in my memory. But they were talking about how the film, in a way, bombed in the U.S., but it may not have. Oh, I can come back to that. But then they were talking about how when it went to Germany, it performed how they had been hoping it would perform in the u.s like it became massive in germany and they talked about going to the premiere with christopher lee and i was i was i was thinking to myself i can see why they would have the writer and director to a premiere in another country but like to have a voice actor that didn't make a whole lot of sense because like did did they not dub it but if christopher lee did the voice in german as well that makes sense because mm-hmm. they didn't say that in the behind the scenes no and i just did it i'm just looking at the wikipedia page here and it's just saying he was fluent in german so he also voiced haggard or haggard in the uh, german dub so okay but yeah and what i what <laughs> the reason i say that it sort of bombed in the u.s was because in a way it did because after they made the movie, they were trying to find a distributor and nobody wanted this film for some, for some reason, like nobody Mm. would take it. They finally had got it picked up by Jensen Farley pictures, which nobody knows what that is. Like (laughs) they've, they hardly released anything, but the, I don't remember exactly how it went, but the film had been out for not very long, like just a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two, mm-hmm. I don't remember, a very short time. And it was actually picking up speed. Like they released it in, I think, 600 theaters and it like almost sold out. It, it was one of the number one films in the country based on percentages of like how many theaters were showing it. Mm-hmm. So like other movies were outperforming it monetarily but like if it had been in as many theaters and done as well as it had in the first 600 it would have been raking in millions of dollars wow um i think i saw that it it ended up making around six or seven million and its budget was like two okay so it wasn't it 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 made money just not a lot well part of that has has to do with the rest of the story sorry about that because (laughs) the next I don't know if it was the next week or the next like round, they expanded into more theaters and it stayed at the percentage that it was like, it was bringing in just as much money in all of the theaters that it expanded to. Wow. So it was actually going up like most movies they're out for a week and it just starts going down as more Mm -hmm. and more people have seen it, but this one was going up and then Jensen Farley pictures went bankrupt (laughs) so the theaters that already had the last unicorn just kept showing it but they now did not have have to send money to a company because the company didn't exist anymore oh no (laughs) so like the people who i like variety who reports like the theater takings like how much it's doing Mm -hmm. they get that from the distribution companies but if the distribution company doesn't exist and the theaters aren't sending them the money and telling them how much how many people are going to it it's not recorded right so all of these theaters kept showing the last unicorn but they were keeping all of the money for themselves because they didn't have anybody to send it to oh my god (laughs) so 
they don't know how long the last unicorn was being shown in theaters because the theaters basically had the option to show it as long as they wanted. And wow. He told a story about meeting somebody who told them that their parents met at a showing of the last unicorn and they told them when it was and it was the next year. Wow. Like months after the original debut. And it was still showing in that theater. They, it oh has not stopped being shown. Wow. So this movie is more popular than anybody knows because there's no actual way to have a record of how popular it was. Right, right. Oh, I'm just looking here and it, it says um, the movie was released November 19th of 82 and they went defunct in December 30th of 83. I don't know what that means. Like they could have gone, they could have filed before that point and maybe the court case took that long. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm just repeating what they were talking about in the, oh, no. the scenes. And that makes sense. I mean, if, if, you know, if it's, if you, it's drawn people in and they're enjoying it, I mean, word of mouth is massive. Mm-hmm. And this has all the markings of a movie that would have been popular at that time. Like oh, yeah. the other dark animated films of, of that era. Oh, 100%. I mean, th- there's no doubt. Like, this feels like an 80s movie, like an early 80s movie. It looks like an early 80s movie. The soundtrack, the story, all of it. You know, especially if it's on after a popular kids book. Totally. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I feel like if a different company had made this movie, it would probably be like Snow White, Cinderella, mm, agreed. Sleeping Beauty. One of those movies that like everybody has seen and everybody knows about. And a lot of people have seen this, but it's not nearly to the level of like Disney's most popular films. Mm-hmm. I mean, every like I, I mean, I, I remember seeing this throughout time, actually, um, wherever you saw, you know, VHS or DVD or Blu-rays, there'd always mm-hmm. be the last unicorn, you know, thereabouts. So mm-hmm. it's been out, you know in some way shape or form you know throughout and maybe that's just like you see the like it's the unicorn on the front kind of i don't know draws you in i guess or you yeah. know the title like i've never seen it but i know the title mm-hmm. so maybe that you know it's like seeing a car and then you see that car everywhere it's kind of that aspect it, it could be yeah but for me i don't think i ever saw it anywhere except for that tape from the disney channel mm-hmm. so it was one of those things where like i i don't know like i i maybe felt like i discovered something that nobody else knew about oh, no. it's like i i didn't like the library didn't have it like the library is where i back then where i knew where to find movies like yeah. we didn't go to like the video store or anything we just went to the library right. so if the library didn't have something i wouldn't have known about it no growing up i was the same it was i mean the the um convenience store in town had some movies but yeah if you wanted anything of of substance you went to the library and they had they kept a really good selection on hand so Mm -hmm. yeah because back then we didn't even go to the theater we waited until the library got something before we watched it yeah because i remember like when a new movie would come to vhs or dvd we would go in and ask about like if they were going to get it and then if when they did get it 
we would make sure we got our names on the waiting list so we would see it. Nice. Because <laughs> a lot of times if you waited till it was on the shelf, you were going to be waiting a long time. Oh, yeah. And that makes sense. You know, there's normally only one copy and there was a lot of people that had an interest to see it. Anyway, where, where were we? <laughs> Tangent. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, we were um, with uh, Mama Fortuna's uh, oh, yes. Midnight Creatures, the Midnight Carnival. Yes. So the unicorn is captured by Mommy Fortuna, who puts a sleep spell on her and gives her a second horn so that normal people can see her because normal people just see a horse. So she puts a magical second horn on her. So they see the magical horn. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad looking horn too. It, it doesn't look very, it doesn't look very interesting. It looks like one of those old, like, I don't know, is a saber the right word? Like a curved sword. To some extent. Yeah. That, that's what I thought when I saw it. Yeah. I liked how when they're talking about the different creatures, Ruck, the little hunchback guy, when he's talking about the dragon, (laughs) he says its inside is an inferno, but its skin is so cold that it burns. It speaks 17 languages badly and is subject to gout. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so random. Well, you know, if you're going to describe a dragon, that that's, pro- you know, the gout part, at least, is probably pretty accurate. <laughs> so this is where the unicorn meets Schmendrick, the magician, who is apparently a bad magician. He sort of knows how to do magic, but he's not good at it. And basically, he's just being used to entertain the sightseers before they go to the carnival. Well, and, and at one point, he describes himself as a two-bit uh, pickpocket. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> well, that that's a little bit later when he goes to um once we uh, find out like his true intent. Mm, okay. After we see all the fake animals that we talked about before, there's also the harpy, whose name is Solano, which is kind of random. <laughs> it's actually a creature in uh, Greek mythology. Like it is the harpy in Greek mythology. Um, so it, it was encountered by Odysseus. So, like, this is supposed to be, like, a specific harpy? Well, it's based off of that one. Um, it's like it's like calling your 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 main circus act guy Hercules, or, you know, your strongman Hercules. It's kind of that same feel, I think. Huh, okay. That's what I'm guessing. Like, I think they were just saying that the inspiration for the, the, har- the harpy's name was specific to Greek mythology. Okay. I guess I'm not really up on my harpy mythology oh that's okay it was just in the trivia um i I know a little bit of greek mythology but but nowhere near that much (laughs) i know hercules from disney hercules hercules (laughs) so schmendrick is talking about the harpy and he says that it's going to escape any day now but he doesn't want them to be around when the harpy escapes because basically the harpy is going to kill them Mm -hmm. And he wants to help the unicorn escape before the harpy does. And then you also have Ruck talking about the harpy to Mommy Fortuna. And he's like begging her to get rid of it. And he says the harpy thinks about what she's going to do to them every night. And Mommy Fortuna says, no, she's not going to let it go because no other witch in the world holds the harpy captive and none ever will. And basically 
admits that she knows she's going to be killed eventually by this harpy, but she wants that. Like she, just because she captured it and she likes the fact that she's the only person who ever captured a harpy. So if that's how she's going to die, that's how she's going to die. <laughs> I mean, that's taking your, uh, your life in your own hands and that respect or your fate in your own hands uh-huh. for whatever that's worth. No. Oh, yeah. And Mommy Fortuna later is talking to the unicorn. And I like the way a lot of lines in this are worded. Her speech to the unicorn, I don't have the whole speech written down, but she had a line here about the unicorn was out hunting for her own death when she knows where it is and what awaits her. And she's basically talking about the Red Bull, but I liked how, how she put that. And there's a few other lines throughout the movie that are worded similarly like i don't know i don't want to say they're like poetic but they're kind of poetic right they they drop what like they they basically tell you what's coming but they don't tell you what's coming yeah kind of and i don't remember all she says but basically she's telling the unicorn that she should be thanking her for protecting her from king haggard and the red bull by keeping her locked in a cage because <laughs> the red bull and or king haggard we don't know what, what's happened yet, but if she were to go there, she would meet the same fate as all the other unicorns. Those poor unicorns. <laughs> so the wizard comes back and he tells the unicorn that he just pretends to be a clumsy fool so that Mommy Fortune will not know what he's really capable of. But even then, he's not that great because he ends up having to use keys after his spells fail to free the unicorn. Mm-hmm. one other real quick fun thing so um he befuddles rook rook mm-hmm. the the little helper guy with a riddle and the riddle is why is a raven like a writing desk <laughs> yes <laughs> so we have a connection to alice in wonderland yes <laughs> <laughs> i love that he was so confused by that <laughs> like I, th- I don't even think that that riddle has an answer i, th- I feel like i read that lewis carroll just wrote that just to write it he didn't actually have an answer nice because <laughs> it's i mean a lot in alice in it's kind of nonsense so that just kind of fits right in i bet you people have tried though to figure oh, out probably. what the answer is but yeah he frees her and then ruck comes in and schmendrick takes him down while the unicorn runs away but then the unicorn decides to free everybody else including the harpy <laughs> And yeah, that that doesn't go very well because the harpy first tries to attack the unicorn, but then Mommy Fortuna comes in and she's she's dead now. Yep. <laughs> she's immediately taken out by the harpy and she's <laughs> basically laughing as she dies because she's just happy that she had a harpy for a time, I guess. Oh yeah. Well, and she she died the way that she wanted to die. Being <laughs> yeah. ripped to shreds by a harpy. <laughs> Schmendrick tries to get the unicorn to run away and she tells him that they should just go and not look back and not run because if you run from anything immortal it attracts their attention I really like that line I thought that was really cool and it's a good piece of mythology I guess I don't know if it's based on anything but even if it's not I like that he thought of it to write it into this world agreed it was very cool and Part of me thought it was funny, but it's also kind of sad that as they're walking away, I don't remember if they look back, but the camera does. 
And you see that the harpy took out Rook as well. <laughs> like, I kind of feel bad for him, but kind of not. Were they like mother son or was he just a helper? I guess, I guess he calls her he mommy, but that's because that's that's technically her name. So, yeah, I guess that's more of a title than that because everybody calls her mommy Fortuna, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. So they're dead. And. Schmendrick is kind of upset about the whole thing, like how she died, but the unicorn, she doesn't seem to care. <laughs> I like how nonchalant she was like, she, she's like, she chose her fate long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and truly she did. Like she yeah. said it a couple times, but yeah, that's well, and that goes to show you the, the immortal way that unicorns, you know, were portrayed. They, they didn't, even though she returned to help, Schmendrick, there wasn't like the you know oh, you know i don't feel bad very yeah. very logical yeah she, i don't want to say that she's kind of alien in that way but it seems kind of an alien way of thinking mm-hmm. but that's just how unicorns are apparently yep. and this is where she also says that she has no regrets and she can't regret she can feel sorrow but it's not the same thing and she's telling Schmendrick about the red bull and her quest to find the other unicorns and he's begging to come with and she has another line here that i loved when he's begging to go with her she says she agrees that he can join her but she wishes he'd asked for some other reward and he says something like she can't give him what he truly wants and she agrees saying she cannot make him a true magician and he's like that's all right don't worry about it and she says (laughs) i'm not (laughs) (laughs) I just that cracked me up. I'm not. Yeah, she's almost in human terms, she would almost be like above everything. Kinda, yeah. Aloof. Yeah, that's the term aloof. Yeah. So they keep going. They're nearing the castle, but they're interrupted by a band of outlaws, including the one voiced by Keenan Wynn. And the unicorn goes to hide, but Schmendrick is captured. And there was a bunch of weird and funny lines in the scene where they're they're at the camp and they're talking about rat soup again. <laughs> and apparently this is the third night in a row and all of the nights the soup was made with the same rat. <laughs> but yet uh, Captain Callie is, uh, is the greatest robber ever in the great tradition of Robin Hood. I think according to him, anyway. Yeah, well, that's that's always the case. Yes. Large ego, lesser skill. In this scene, you're also introduced to Molly Gru, who I'm not sure if she was supposed to be his girlfriend, but he he always referred to her as love. So I don't know. She the, after they leave, he's not spoken of again. So they weren't that close, apparently. Yeah. He is referred to, like, uh, looking over Wikipedia, she's referred to as his lover, but again, could be, like, just a, a term, you know, lo- like, if you talk English, you know, a lot of people refer to the the people around them as love. Mm-hmm. That's so. kind of how I was taking it. Yeah. Because she definitely, like, she doesn't take crap from him, you know, she, mm-hmm. you know, she calls him out on a lot of stuff. I, I actually thought they were married at first because of that- the way that she called him out. At the very first, that's kind of what I thought. But then I realized later, no, he's probably just 
calling her love because like it's an english term so right well and she's the only woman amongst uh, several several men so you know yeah but yeah schmendrick is able to sweet talk his way out of being a captor or a captive and he's like praising the captain pretending that he's heard of him and molly is not having any of this and she's says something like slit his wizard (laughs) basically calling for them to kill him but then he says that she's his beautiful companion and she's like oh well maybe he does know something (laughs) 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 so he's ingratiated himself into this group and I I don't know if I misheard this or not. I should have put on subtitles, but it sounded like Captain Collie offered him a taco. That's what I thought too. (laughs) Unless a taco is like, it sounds like taco, but it's actually something else specific to whatever that was. I don't know. I I thought that was hilarious if it was actually (laughs) what he was offering him. Well, it's a rat taco. They use the same rat to make all their tacos for the past three nights. <laughs> and the soup. So it was a soggy taco. Oh, yeah. That's not good. Well, and then they're like, um, when Schmedrick is first accepted, they're like, Molly, put more water into the soup. And she's like, what you say? It's literally sweat soup? Some, uh, something like it's thinner than sweat already. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> a taco. but yeah the captain is bragging and he's telling the minstrel that he should sing them a song about his adventures but molly wants a song about robin hood instead which apparently infuriates the captain who has something against robin hood (laughs) it's like (laughs) robin hood doesn't exist and I wasn't really sure exactly what was happening in this scene because at first I thought that the unicorn was doing this, but then it's kind of made clear that it was Schmendrick just not knowing what he was doing later. Right. Or, or was it the unicorn like helping his magic along? It could have been, but like even in the behind the scenes stuff, they were talking about this scene and how Schmendrick was not knowing what he was doing. Oh, okay. So even if the unicorn was helping him, it's still at least partly him. Right. And he just has no idea how to use magic. But he's basically calling magic to do as it will. And then Robin Hood and Maid Marian come in, but they're kind of ghostly visions instead of the real thing. And like everybody in the camp is like enchanted by them and they chase them off, following them into the woods. And everybody's gone except for the captain and like one henchman and he's upset about this because he's lost everybody now so he captures smendrick and tie him to a tree and say they'll be back in the morning i'm not really sure why they didn't just off him right there but whatever you don't want to kill someone on an empty stomach (laughs) i gotta go find something more than a taco and rat soup apparently (laughs) well the two don't really pair that well together if we're being honest (laughs) But then Schmendrick does some other sort of magic and this tree comes to life and is in love with him for some reason. And she's quite, she reminds me of like Mae West. Like she's got the boa and the fancy like flowers that kind of could be jewels and stuff. She's very busty. (laughs) 
Yes, and he's his face is like trapped in her cleavage. Yes. And she's almost smothering him, talking about how she loves him so much. And I'm not sure if like his magic gave her a personality or if the trees have a personality and this just brought it out. I'm thinking way too hard about this whole scene. <laughs> but she's she's in love with him and he's talking about, oh great, now I'm engaged to a Douglas fir. <laughs> was such a good line. <laughs> And he calls for the unicorn to help him. And she comes running up and the tree is like enraged about the unicorn's presence. (laughs) (laughs) She's like yelling that she can't have him. And then there's a storm that I'm not sure where it came from. It seemed like the tree was causing the storm. That's what I thought. But there's a lot with with magic in this movie that I just don't understand. And I just have to remind myself this is a fairy tale. (laughs) In the words of Mystery Science Theater 3000, just to repeat to yourself, it's just a show. We should really just relax. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> pretty much. But the unicorn ends up freeing him and the tree turns back into a tree and the storm goes away. So they're fine now. Hooray. I should also note here, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. They talked about this in the behind the scenes stuff. They said that in the movie, I don't know who this is, Nellie Bellflower. They said that she voiced a character that was eventually cut from the movie, but she ended up still getting credit. But the credit is wrong because she's credited as the tree. But that they said that I think it was Paul Fries that did the tree, not Nellie Bellflower. Okay. So she's listed on Wikipedia as doing the tree, but in the behind the scenes stuff, they said that. She voiced right. a character that got cut from the movie, but well, she no, there still was ended a, up getting a credit in the movie. There was a princess that comes up at the end of the book that was cut. Like they animated it and everything, but then it got cut. So that's probably what was cut. I would oh, bet. It might have been. They keep going, but then they run into Molly Grew in the forest again. And she's shocked to see the unicorn. And... I'm not sure exactly what this whole scene was supposed to mean because she begins weeping, demanding to know why the unicorn didn't visit her when she was younger. She had some really good lines in this. So I like the scene, even though I'm confused by some mm-hmm. of it, but she's, she's like, how dare you visit me when I am this basically mean she's talking about like, why did you come see me when I'm old yeah. rather than when she was young and wanted to see a unicorn. So I'm not sure why she was so upset about the unicorn waiting like not that she was waiting with intent to hurt her feelings but like i was mildly confused by this but i liked the sentiment i guess yeah well and and molly's character she's another one that i really enjoyed you know throughout the course of the movie Mm -hmm. um she has that sense of kind of an every person my guess is like in there yeah because it felt like it needed a little bit of backstory or something like that but i would imagine it's like the unicorn kind of represents like a dream thing when you're a kid, you know, it's like yeah. that, that desire to see something magical, you know, cause she looked like she had lived pretty roughly. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's that element of, you know, where was my miracle? Where was my magic when I was younger? Mm-hmm. Kind of a That's thing. kind of what I was figuring, but it was one of those things where I felt like maybe if I read the book, this would make more sense. So she eventually she stops crying and says that she forgives the unicorn 
which is nice of her, I guess, even though the unicorn didn't actually do anything to her. Right. Or at least that one specifically, it's like uh, saying, well, you know, a brunette person broke my heart or brunette haired person broke my heart. You're a brunette haired person, but I forgive you (laughs) for this random other brunette headed person that broke my heart. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) After this, Molly insists on going with them and Schmendrick does not like this idea, but then she says that they're going in the wrong direction. And I guess he figures if she knows where they're going, where they're going, she might as well come. <laughs> you almost expect like a wah, wah, wah kind of a sound <laughs> when she says that. Uh, but yeah, they're getting, they're getting close. And this is another thing where it's like, how do you know this? Because Schmendrick says that the bull lives in the caverns below the castle and roams at night. There's a lot of things that somebody just knows and it's not explained why they know it. Yeah, that was odd. And maybe it's a magic that he has that allows him to see that. But if that's the case, why couldn't they figure out a way to get down there? Because there's clearly caves underneath the castle. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where I thought about it for a while and was like, whatever. <laughs> it's not worth. <laughs> it's not worth thinking about too much. It's a fairy tale. Exactly. And there's another music break here with another America song. (laughs) And at the end of that song, the castle starts glowing and shooting out red fire, which becomes the bull and begins chasing the unicorn. And they realize that it's not trying to kill the unicorn. It's just trying to make her go towards the castle. And Molly starts begging Schmendrick to do something. And he thinks he can't because he doesn't have very good magic, but he tries anyway, and the unicorn gets transformed into a human, and the bull just leaves. <laughs> He's like, I don't see a unicorn. Oh, oh well. Yeah. It's another one of those things where just accept yeah. <laughs> it's fairy tale logic. Yeah. Uh, it's like a cat with a uh, laser pointer. You know, it, it loses track of it, and it goes, eh, whatever. Yeah, okay. kind of. <laughs> Pretty much exactly I lo- like that. I lost, I lost interest. <laughs> yeah. I found it kind of ironic that Molly was begging him to do literally anything to save the unicorn, but then she's like horribly upset when she finds out that she became a human. It's like oh, she saved her life. <laughs> <laughs> and the way the switch flips on that, it's it's just like that. There's there's no hesitation. And it's also more ironic later when she says that she should leave her as the human. Yeah, they're but, very they're very back and forth on their beliefs of about that. But even yeah. like the way that they you were talking about stuff that people know, and I suppose Molly seems like she knows a lot about unicorns to start with, but she's holding the unicorn's human body and she's like, "Oh, she'll go crazy in a human body. She won't survive." It just she goes on and on and on and the things that she's talking about they don't really happen. Yeah, there are some ill effects but not the ones that she's talking about she doesn't go mad she ends up kind of just having amnesia in yeah at certain points yeah and she kind of forgets but even that's kind of here and there and i'm sure if you're if she's kind of like going from like a unicorn inside to a human inside you would have that kind of like moments of clarity but and again fairy tale logic but it's still there's bits that just don't really work I did like her reaction, though. It's one of those things that, again, it's like it's not 
poetry, but it's kind of poetic. I just liked how it was worded when she's she's upset that she's now human because she says she can feel the body dying around her. Oh yeah. And she wishes that he just left her to the bull. That was that was a cool part. Schmendrick defends his choice to use the magic and says that at least this way they can actually get into the castle because they wouldn't be able to even get close if she was a unicorn. But maybe as a human, they can actually get in. She must kind of agree because they keep going and she doesn't demand to be changed back after this. Yeah. She was still pretty out of it, though, at that point, too. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of out of it for a lot of the rest of this. Very true. In different ways. She's just kind of only half there, especially when she starts getting amnesia symptoms. Yeah. Did you find it strange that Schmedrick went from doubting that he can do it and i suppose a positive reinforcement of something working will change your heart but like he goes from oh i can't do it i can't do it to doing it and then he's like i called the magic and someday i'll be able to you know make it do my will like he almost goes a little evil yeah he did seem a little bit out of character there he did seem like he was getting a bit too full of himself right i suppose it does make sense because he actually did do magic but he did seem to switch a little bit too far. Yeah. And then he kind of backs off like, oh, well, the ma- you know, I am just a vessel for the magic. It almost, he goes from one extreme to the other and then kind of ends up somewhere in the middle. But I don't know, not knowing the book, that might be kind of how he deals with it. Because I'm sure yeah. there is that after power high of, I did the thing, I did the thing. And, you know. After this, they end up getting to the castle and... There's two guards, and Schmendrick introduces them, and he introduces the unicorn as the Lady Amalthea, and he says he's not going to tell them why they're there. He's only going to speak to King Haggard himself. And the guards lead them all the way through the castle, and they hear these horrifying noises like wind howling, roaring, and the the guards are like, oh, that's nothing. It's just the bull. Well, you know, if you if you if you lived over top of the bull every day, it probably would become commonplace. It's like having a train out back your house or something. I suppose. <laughs> a train runs by, you know, five times an hour, you know, twenty-two hours a day. But you know, get used to it. And they get upstairs. They get to the throne room, and Schmedrick doesn't believe this is actually the throne room. It's all dark and filthy and covered in cobwebs. And he demands that they take him straight to King Haggard. And then the guards take off their helmets, and it is King Haggard, as well as his son, Prince Lear. And, and I'm like, why did why did he pretend to be the guard? Like, do they do they just spend their days standing out in front of their castle <laughs> pretending <laughs> to be guards? <laughs> Maybe it was pretend to be a guard day, and then the next day it's pretend to be servant day, and then the next day is actually be king and prince day and maybe they're just low on money and they don't they don't have the funds to to you know keep staff well he talked later like he had only four people in his employ but i didn't see any anyone else well you had the magician and you had the cat oh that's true i suppose the magician would be one of them does the cat count i mean it's revealed later that the cat can talk Maybe yeah. they're paying the cat something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you could pay him in mice, really. <laughs> Tuna or something. <laughs> what was with that cat anyways? It was like he was a pirate. 
I know, I know. <laughs> and, and I expected more to come from the cat. Like the first time, because I watched this a couple times and the first time I watched it, I was paying attention, but then my attention went away and came back and it's like, okay, the cat showed up. Is the cat the magician? What the heck's got like the, the That's one what that I thought at first, but the, yeah. he doesn't. He, yeah. He's just a cat. Yeah, just like, okay, just a really piratey cat. <laughs> I mean, I guess if this is a world where unicorns can exist, then pirate cats can exist too. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to hear him start singing, you know, the pirate's life for me or, you know, <laughs> something, you know, some kind of a, some kind of a sea shanty, you know, type of thing. I was rather I like, disappointed. I liked that he had a little peg leg. <laughs> that was really funny. And then he had like the giant earring. Didn't he have, a, didn't he have a, uh, an eye patch too? Yes. And the eye patch served no purpose because he put it on one eye and then switched to the other. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're talking with King Haggard and his excuse for them being there is that they're, they want to offer themselves to be servants to him. And this is where he says he has or he already has four people working for him. And that's all he needs. He also says he already has a magician and he sees no reason to replace him. And he's a magician's magician. Yes, he's like an expert magician, allegedly. We don't see a whole lot from him, but... Yeah. Anyways, Molly pipes in and says that she has a reason why he could be replaced he doesn't make him happy and the king is like well what makes you say that she's like just look at you (laughs) (laughs) and that does become a theme over the rest of the movie yeah it's kind of like his whole reason for everything that he does and his whole reason for being evil is just he wasn't happy and he's trying to find something that will make him happy so he calls in the magician and says he's being replaced. It's like it, instantly. So like this, her argument was sound enough that it was like, okay. <laughs> and he tells him that he's not made him happy. He says a master magician has not made him happy. So now he's going to try an incompetent one. <laughs> <laughs> and the magician is, he's furious at first. And he's acting like he's going to conjure up some horrible spell. But then he notices that the unicorn's forehead is glowing where her horn used to be. And he starts laughing. And this is another one of those lines that I really liked. He tells the king he's glad he's not him because he's let his doom in through the front door. And it will not be leaving that way. That's, and then that's a very he's good gone. Yeah. Yes. He also, uh, I, I love the fact that Lear says that he'll write him a reference. <laughs> yes. That cracked <laughs> me up as well. <laughs> After this, the king notices that the unicorn, I, I should start calling her Lady Amalthea. She's not a unicorn in this, she's a human. But he notices her looking out the window at the sea, and he says something about he's not able to look at much very long except for the sea. And then she turns around and he looks into her eyes, and the animals from the beginning show up, and he's demanding to know why he can't see himself. And he's like freaking out about this. But the prince talks him down and the king leaves. He says it doesn't really matter if they're his doom or not. They can stay and do whatever they want. That was awfully nice of him. (laughs) Yeah. You might kill me, but whatever. You can stay. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That place is so, like, I know it's supposed to be like an evil castle and, and, you know, generally not be in great shape, but it is so shabby. Like the windows are all broken and. There's areas mm-hmm. of beauty, but then you have all these busted windows, and I can't think it's real comfortable to live there. 
It looks like it would be very drafty. Very. Especially because it connects to those caverns below. Exactly. And I'm sure that the uh, bull doesn't create a lot of extra heat. (laughs) Or a lot of heat that you can actually use. Maybe that's why he lives below, though. Maybe he's like the furnace. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But, you know, castles are generally drafty to start with. And having all those busted windows and dangerously busted windows, you know, to boot. Uh Uh-huh. Like there's areas where, you know, they've got all the lovely paintings and sculptures and stuff. And then, you know, right next to that is a giant broke window. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder how long the castle has been deteriorating. Well, and the I guess in the book, um, there was actually supposed to be a town kind of built below the actual castle. And there was a prophecy that said someone from the town was going to be the one that brought about the downfall of, of the king. So um, Hagar had like conquered the town and took over the castle and stuff, making himself ruler and everything. Interesting. I feel like I feel I kind of wanted them to like do another version of this with more of the book and make some things make more sense. But at the same time, it's one of those things where like I kind of like this as is, even though it's so weird and some things don't make sense. But I don't know. I kind of want to see somebody else's vision for this. And I want some more backstory. They actually have had a couple of versions that were supposed to come up. Um, Let's see, where is it here? There was an adaptation plan that's been in developmental hell forever and a day. Um, There was a Broadway show. Really? Uh, Where is it though? I wonder how the Broadway show works. Does like the cast all get together and sing all the the America songs? (laughs) (laughs) Um. Okay, so in 1988, a stage adaptation of the novel was presented in Seattle. Um, Peter Beagle wrote the script, and it was a musical presented in collaboration with the Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, In fall 2009, there was a new adaptation presented in Chicago. Um, Let's see. There was a live action adaptation of the original book in development for several years, but it's not known what progress has been made. Um, There's a website talking about a film in production that went up in February of 2006. It's still there as of January 2022, but the website is currently not in service. Doesn't bode well for that one. Exactly. There was also supposed to be a second novel. So Peter Beagle wrote all kinds of books kind of built around unicorns. And he wrote one called Two Hearts or was in the process of writing one called Two Hearts, but it was a short story. Okay. It did win a Hugo and an, um, a Nebula Award in 2007. There's also a comic book based on The Last Unicorn beginning in April 2010. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very much so. But again, that's kind of where it ends. Well, they'll probably do a remake someday. I'm sure everything so. gets remade eventually. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Anyways, at this point, there is another music video break. And I like it's like the... we're in the 80s or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the song here. It's like about the sea. Mm, very much. As the song is playing, time is passing. So, like, they're all settling into basically living at this castle. Molly becomes a cook. Schmendrick is now, like, the magician entertaining the king with all his little magic tricks. (laughs) 
and this is where you first see the cat with the peg leg and an eye patch. But at first, uh, you just think he's a regular cat until later. Apparently, he talks, and there's no explanation given for that. Nope. He just talks. Nope. Well, I mean, if you're a pirate cat, you kind of have to talk. Because <laughs> you have to explain your, your scenario of how you got to be a pirate cat, I would think. Needed to do that then. <laughs> yes, I mean, I would even accept like a side, you know, a side, a side story about Pirate Cat. So would I. They could have done like a little animated short. They could have, you know, have some American music for it. It'd be great. <laughs> During all this, the prince is apparently wanting to do heroic deeds to impress. I I don't know if he thinks she's a princess, but he wants to impress her. He he loves the unicorn. Even though he doesn't know she's a unicorn, he just loves her anyway. He, at one point, rides out to slay a dragon. But the dragon is a Chinese dragon. (laughs) Which, like, in dragon mythology, Chinese dragons are supposed to be good. Mm -hmm. Like, the European dragons are the evil ones. So it's kind of weird that he's going out and killing a Chinese dragon. Could it be? And obviously, Chinese doesn't translate to all of Asian, but could it be? because of the top craft connection they just were like well we're supposed oh, to have a maybe. dragon i mean that's the only thing i can think of in that respect you know because in the behind the scenes stuff they were talking about like they would send over their mm-hmm. ideas and things directions on things to do mm-hmm. and sometimes the people from the studio would have better ideas than they did and they would go with those so maybe that's one of them maybe that they, would make sense Maybe they did have a traditional dragon, but even though they're in Japan, maybe they're just more familiar with Chinese dragons, and right. that's why they did that. And right. they just like the look. I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, if you're thinking like, I, I don't know, I, you're, you're definitely going to have a more eclectic looking dragon if you went with that. Mm-hmm. And then he like presents the head or the tail. Yeah. I'm not even sure exactly what he presents to, to her, but... A random body part. Yeah, I'm guessing part of the tail, but it's like, it's like this dragon. I mean, did you leave the rest of it for Molly to cook up? I mean, where did it end up? Yeah, what did he do with the rest of it? They could have eaten it. Yeah, it would, probably would have been tasty eating. You know, you get some chopsticks, you know, you get a walk going with some stir fry. Could have <laughs> been delicious. Yeah, exactly. Give some to Pirate Cat because, you know, he's Pirate Cat. <laughs> But yeah, she's not impressed by this random dragon body part, though. So <laughs> his attempts to impress her don't really work. Yeah. And he's talking to Molly about this. And the way he's talking, you can tell it has been, they've been there a very long time. Like, I think at this point, it's like winter. I think in the scene before, or maybe it's in a scene coming up, there's like snow falling. Mm. So a long time has passed. They've been living there quite a while right he tells molly that like basically he loves her he just wants to be whatever she needs him to be he wants her to help her find whatever she came there to find and molly goes to talk to the unicorn but she's started to forget who she is right this leads to another song but this time she's singing it i think this is the first one like that the characters are singing Mm -hmm. because before this it's been like just the band America has been singing the song as events happen. This is like the first one where it's like musical style. Like she's ta- singing about her plight. It's really the only one too, isn't it? Well, the Prince has a song later too that she cut, oh. that she joins in and it's almost a reprise of this one, but it's 
his song that she mm-hmm. kind of joins in and combines the two songs. But those like the two combining the of ones. their hearts. <laughs> kind of, yeah. At the end of the song, she basically says that she needs to find the Red Bull before she completely forgets who she is. Mm-hmm. So Molly is trying to explain to her that they're trying. Schmendrick is trying to figure out how to find the Red Bull. And the unicorn is kind of dismissive of him at this point. She says she's not expecting any help from him. He's basically turned into King Haggard's personal clown. And Molly is really upset by this. She's like defending him. Oh, yeah. She lays a smack down. There's no doubt. Yeah. She says she's, he's doing everything he can. He's doing it for her to keep King Haggard from asking who she is. And the unicorn, she says, forgive me, and then runs away crying. And Molly goes back downstairs, and you can hear the Red Bull roaring as she's going. And this is where you find out the cat can talk, (laughs) because he's overheard this whole conversation. He knows who the unicorn is, why she's there. And he says that if she stays in the body that she has for too long, she's going to be stuck as a human forever. And Molly doesn't want this to happen. She's begging to know what they need to do. And the cat says that they need to take the king's way down to the Red Bull. And Molly grabs him and demands that he tell her where the king's way is. And he gives her a, a riddle. <laughs> and he <laughs> Not says, a great one either. No, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I guess that's another thing that you just got to accept because fairy tales. <laughs> when the wine drinks itself, when the skull speaks... When the clock strikes the right time, only then will you find the tunnel that leads to the Red Bull's lair. So, and like thinking ahead to wh- wh- how they eventually get in there, it's, it's all very random that that ended up making sense. Right. And they make a lot of it happen themselves. Yeah. So like, is the cat psychic? <laughs> I, you know what? Well, and the cat says that, that um, you know, the appearance of, you know, the fact that the the unicorn is actually a unicorn and all that other stuff like you know it, it sees through all of the disguises which is a very cat-like thing to say mm-hmm. yeah another thing fairy tale <laughs> just go exactly <laughs> <laughs> so then more time passes and the prince is now trying to court the unicorn with a poem her amnesia is getting to the point where she's forgetting who he is even though he she met him after she became a human And she's like having flashbacks to Mommy Fortuna and the Harpy. And she tells the prince that she's always dreaming, even when she's awake. And this is where he has his song. And more time has been passing. So you you have scenes all interspersed in here of different things happening. And then Molly and Schmendrick are trying to figure out this riddle. They're like down in this cave and... You could see this this skeleton that comes up later, but he doesn't do anything. But they don't get anywhere at this point with the riddle. I'm not sure why this scene comes up, because you have the unicorn is at the top of the castle, and she's watching the prince. And then the king comes in and basically just reveals that this prince is not actually his son. I'm not sure why he decided to tell her this. He just came up. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's not my son. I found him as a baby. <laughs> Okay. And that whole and that whole bit does relate back to the story because like um the other part of it was um there was a baby abandoned in the square of the town that's supposed to be attached to the castle and mm. the king comes by and 
picks up this random baby and for a while it makes him happy but then after that he goes back to being a miserable old coot okay there's more to it but that's kind of the basic yeah okay but then he also reveals that he knows who she is and what she came there for and he says that he has them all and she can't have them and since she he didn't say anything specifically she tells him there's nothing in his castle that she would ever want of his and then he basically gives her his tragic backstory (laughs) (laughs) like basically he's always been miserable nothing's ever made him happy until he saw a unicorn and then he commanded the red bull to round them all up and drive them into the sea (laughs) (laughs) which is you know your go-to thing i mean why would you choose to do anything else i mean underlying that this whole you know, like the last probably 40 minutes, you do get the sense of loss. You know, there is something deeper to the story as far as this guy that can't find happiness. Nothing brings him joy. And the one thing that brought him joy, as compared to letting it be out in the open where everyone else can enjoy it too, you know, he tries to hoard it for himself. Mm -hmm. Like, I only deserve to be made happy by this thing. Yeah. Well, my question is, why is the fact that the Red Bull drove them into the sea, why do they stick around? Because <laughs> they all live in the ocean near his castle so he can look out and watch them. But why didn't they just swim somewhere else? <laughs> well, and they, they said that every time they get close to shore, the bull drives them back in. I suppose, but I mean, they're immortal. Couldn't they just swim to <laughs> swim to Canada? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe their their fear of the bull is so great because he comes out every night at I think it's dusk. And so maybe it's that fear of the the bull every day after day after day. And then again, you apply uh, fairy tale logic. Yes, yes. I was just going to say, I shouldn't be questioning this too No, much. no. I, I think you're very right to question it. I was like, why are they in the ocean? How does that make any sense? Yeah. And also their reappearance later, it's like, how does that even work? I did like think that their the reappearance waves. was cool, though. There's like they're part of the waves. I, oh, yeah. it, it was a really cool visual. That was a neat visual. It kind of reminded me of um, Fellowship of the Ring when um, oh, the Liv Taylor or Liv, uh, oh, what's her name? Aragon's like love. Anyway, they get across the river. And then she calls up like the waves Arwen. as horses. Aaron, yeah, thank you. <laughs> she calls up the waves as <laughs> as horses, and then they like take out all oh, of the bad guys. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, like that kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I wonder if they saw the last unicorn and were inspired. <laughs> well, and that might be because I think that is described in in the Fellowship of the Rings book. So it could have been something that was in their version of um, the Lord of the Rings. Maybe just, Peter S. Beagle was inspired because he, he wrote his book probably not too long after Lord of the Rings, maybe like possible. 20 years later. Yeah. When was Lord of the Rings written? Uh, f- uh 50s? 40s or 50s? I can look okay. it up quick. Hang on. The last Unicorn, I think, was 60s. So Yeah, it, it was like that much 62? Later. 68, something like that. Hang on here. 1948 was when Lord of the Rings was first written. Okay. So maybe 15-ish years. Yeah. Anyways, that was a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we've already decided that tangents are not bad. Yeah. And this is kind of relevant. Yes. 
But yeah, he admits all this. And then he demands that she tell him who she really is, even though he says he already knows. He wants to hear it from her or he's going to toss her into the sea with the rest of them. And I'm not sure if she's, I think this is another amnesia thing. Either that or she's lying to try and save herself. She says she he does she does not know what he's talking about. And then he looks into her eyes and sees his own reflection, which I, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if the other scene with him demand, wondering why he doesn't see his reflection, I guess this is a callback to that. And just, I don't really understand how magic works in this world. <laughs> this was supposed to be obvious that, well, obviously he can't see himself. And now, obviously, he can, so she must be a human. <laughs> I was okay. going to say, isn't it more of a thing that, like, her transition from being a unicorn in a human body to being a human in a human body? Like, I think that's kind of yeah, the transitional Yeah, I think aspect, that's yeah. What, what they're getting at. But the rules of the magic are what, Yeah, I they guess. don't really, they, they, <laughs> they really don't, I mean, most of the, I guess what you'd call the physics of the world, they really don't go into depth as to like how they work very much. Yeah. Anyway, he sees himself and that stops him and he doesn't think he's mistaken, but he leaves her up there and says, it doesn't matter. The end will be the same either way. I mean, he's not wrong. She goes back inside and she's crying and Schmendrick is trying to comfort her. He tells her not to cry because if she's, become human enough to cry like that he doesn't think he's going to be able to change her back and they all go down under the caves again together this time and this is where you meet the skeleton they hear crazy laughter and find that this skeleton who was lying in there earlier is now alive and is laughing at them and they've figured out that he has something to do with the riddle but they don't know exactly what and molly had asked schmendrick to bring wine for the other part of the riddle and he comes in and says all he has is water and he acts like he's going to turn it into wine but he's doing it in such a way that the skeleton can't see what's happening and he's like demanding to know what's going <laughs> on and the performance of the skeleton is just hilarious I, oh it's I amazing this skeleton <laughs> so he he turns around and acts like he's drinking and i'm i'm wondering was there even anything in this thing to begin no. with not because, that, not that there, there was no animation, at least in, in that respect. Yeah. So he pretends that he drank it all, but he has nothing. So basically, they're just trying to trick the skeleton. And <laughs> the skeleton is demanding that he be allowed to taste this wine. And they're wondering why, because he he's a skeleton. <laughs> you can't taste or smell this. And he's like, but I remember. <laughs> Just, he's adamant about it yes i love i love his whole reaction to this and so they tell him that if he tells them how to get to the red bowl they will give him the wine and he says that all they have to do is just go through this clock that you saw earlier and that's it that's how you find the red bowl and so they give him this empty jug and he proceeds to like guzzle nothing <laughs> <laughs> just chugging on this empty jug and like his cheeks get all flushed and he's like well, that was the real stuff <laughs> <laughs> that was so like that was just hilarious that was such a good part of the movie like, it was probably I my favorite I, I love that skeleton 
He'd be a great party companion. Like he's the guy you would invite to a party. I mean, it would be cheap to get it to give him drinks because you could oh, just yeah. tell him that here, here's a glass of <laughs> something. You know, <laughs> Noir, 1872, a good year. And he would buy it. Oh yeah, definitely so. So they all start heading for this clock, but I'm I'm not sure why the Scott the skeleton is now furious. And his eyes start glowing red. He's screaming for King Haggard. He's figured out that she's a unicorn. And I guess, I don't know why he cares, but he does. Yeah. But so, before that, they also had, like, he was trying to explain to them that they just need to go through the clock. And they get mm-hmm. into this weird thing about time. Like, you know, time, you know, the clock is numbers, but time is something else entirely. Like, it, it was... It was I, it seemed like it was part of the riddle that got cut. I don't know. It felt because right. they were talking about it like it was a riddle, like you had to go through time, but it's a clock. So you're going through time. Right. Yeah. It was, it was like, it almost felt like a philosophical thing, but it could have very, very easily been kind of a variation on the riddle. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's just like a eh, fairy tale. <laughs> go with it. Very yeah, true. They they're like escaping through the clock, and King Haggard is racing down there, and only the unicorn and Molly make it through. Schmendrick is attacked by the king. He's like they're chasing through the caves, and he eventually does get through the clock, but then the king smashes it to pieces, and I guess it was a magic portal because now there's no way back into the castle. They have to go out through the caves, but also somehow the prince got in there and this is like the most on the nose thing about like just go with it that they had (laughs) like even though they don't say just go with it if he they ask how he got in there and he just says that he saw where she went and followed it's like (laughs) what you were not there we we saw this whole thing you did not follow them in that makes no sense but he whatever. was riding on the wings of love and and he just went past everybody faster than anyone could see. Okay. And even though we've given been given no reason why the unicorn and the prince should have any feelings for each other, you know, they all of a sudden do. Yeah, because they, they, they have this whole conversation about, like, everybody has changed their mind. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to be a unicorn anymore. She's in love with the prince and... Now Molly wants her to stay a human as well. I guess she's maybe she's just a romantic and wants them to be a happy couple. I don't know. I'm sure so. But the prince then changes his mind and says that she needs to be changed back because her whole point of being there was to rescue the other unicorns. So he's not going to let her stay a human just for him. And he also has this speech about being a hero, which was a little corny, but... I thought it was kind of funny, especially later, which I'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they do like even even. Uh, um, sorry, my brain keeps shutting off on what the Schmed Schmedrick Schmedrick. Thank you, Schmedrick. Kind of brings up how it's like you know they, they they each have their jobs to do basically, like you know, and they go back and forth, and then they do the whole happy ending thing. That line was actually pretty cool. How they're um. There weren't happy endings because nothing ever truly ends. Yeah. I really liked that line. I thought that was cool. Yeah. So they're having this whole conversation and 
Molly accuses Schmendrick of not caring anything about anything except his magic and becoming a real magician. He says he wishes that were true. He wishes he didn't care about anything else, but he does. And then suddenly they're interrupted by the Red Bull. And now he knows. I don't know why he suddenly knows that she's a unicorn, but he does. So they're fleeing through the cave and the unicorn in human form trips and the prince like leaps between them. And then Schmendrick starts chanting and the unicorn changes back. She's now a unicorn again. And the Red Bull chases her out of the cave and the prince is demanding that he do something. Schmendrick says that he can't. Not all the magic in the world can save her now. And Molly's like, well, what, what good is magic if it can't save a unicorn? And Schmendrick says, that's what heroes are for. And the prince is like, yes, that is what heroes are for. And he charges in and he's immediately killed. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, but I, it made me laugh. Like, well, it is. Dead. It is. It's like, it's like, I don't even have a good example or a good, a good side thing, but yeah, no, it is. It's, you don't see him go down, but yeah, he, he just, you see him, the, the shot goes to see him, him run off. And then all of a sudden you see him land back on the beach and dead as a doornail. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's like, nice job, hero. You really, you really did it well. We're so proud of you. Yes. That's what heroes are for. (laughs) (laughs) you know there was there was another line just a little bit back and i apologize it was actually kind of neat um back when they were in the cave um and i think the unicorn was still in human form but they're they're going back and forth talking about what they need to do and the prince says i love who i love and it's kind of a neat line yeah and that kind of relates back to what happens later but Mm -hmm. yeah he's he basically says that and then they're like trying to reinforce she is a unicorn and he's like repeats it like he's adamant he loves who he loves mm-hmm. yeah that was a good line too there's a yeah. lot of really good lines in this yeah yeah all this is happening and you also see king haggard looking down from the castle as all this is playing out below him and then suddenly the unicorn is like enraged at the bull like even though she's a unicorn again apparently she still loves this prince and now he's dead and she charges at the bull and for some reason he's now scared of her right like he he switched immediately to being like the aggressor for to like now he's like afraid of this unicorn and he like backs up into the sea and he just like walks up to sea and you never see him again right and she doesn't really do anything she just kind of like there's no Swings like her horn, horn at him and that, yeah, that's it's enough, not I even guess. yeah, it's not even really that much. It's just kind of like, oh, well, I'm gonna move over here and then you're gonna move over there and then it's not quite the epic beatdown you would expect to to see. Yeah, I don't know that I would say that's my my biggest problem with this, but like he drove thousands of unicorns into the sea and not a one of them tried to <laughs> face off with them. Well, maybe that was the thing that separated it, like. And again, it's it's cheesy, but it's fairy tale logic. It's a kid's story to some extent. Maybe the the fact that the unicorn had love, like she had that thing that gave her courage to do the thing that she wouldn't have had that set her apart from every other unicorn. Yeah, that's true. That's probably what they were going for. I guess because there's other things that come up later that the whole last unicorn thing does relate in different things all the way to the end. Mm hmm. 
But yeah, she drives him out to sea and then all the unicorns come back. Waves of unicorns rushing to the shore. And yeah, like we said, it looks very cool. I love the visual of the unicorns as waves yeah, coming that is in. Like, yeah, it's the white foam on top of each wave and it's just nothing but unicorns. Yeah. I'm so still they, just thinking, how would you even have room for that many unicorns under the water? Because there was like thousands. Well, the sea's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I know it's a moot point, but I found it kind of funny. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. There's so many that they cause an earthquake when they come back because King Haggard, his whole castle falls apart. <laughs> well, let's be honest. The thing wasn't that well constructed to start with. And, and if it was it hasn't been for a while <laughs> i mean one one good tap with a hammer at the right location and that would have had the same effect basically yeah i thought it was weird though as he's he's like falling to his doom and he's like screaming i knew you were the last like <laughs> what <laughs> you 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 had all the other unicorns she's not the last you were just hoarding them all for yourself exactly the last free unicorn so he would have said that but he hit the water before he could say it <laughs> yeah and then his castle hit him so yeah he's yeah. gone now yes but all the unicorns are gone now molly is crying over the prince's body and their unicorn comes back and molly is she seems surprised to see her again and says you stayed and the unicorn bends down and magics the prince back to life. Yay, so, happy ending. <laughs> for or <now>. something. <laughs> so he wakes up, he thinks he's dreaming again, and then he realizes he, he was actually dead. He sees the unicorn and she says, I remember you, and then runs away. So, Which, you know, is typical for unicorns. <laughs> I'm not sure how much time passes, but the prince and Molly and Schmendrick have stayed together for a while, and they're now probably closer to where the unicorn was because everything is green. It seems like it's the same forest from the beginning. Yep. And the prince is leaving them. He's wishing that he could see the unicorn one last time to tell her what was truly in his heart. And Schmendrick says that she will remember him. She'll remember his heart when men are fairy tales and books are written by rabbits. <laughs> And he says, of all the unicorns, she's the only one who knows what regret is. And then I couldn't quite make out what his last line was, but I think he said, because she loved. I thought, but also love, but you might be right. Something like that. Basically, she knows regret and love, Yeah. which apparently most unicorns do not. Right. And that's one of the other things I'm sure that probably makes her the last unicorn, like she's apart from everybody else. Yeah. To some extent. So he leaves and Schmendrick asks Molly to come with him. So I think the assumption here is that they're a couple now. Yeah, I would agree. Do and you think Schmendrick was supposed to be older than what he looked? Because I would have guessed like teenager. I, I was thinking of him as like mid-20s. Yeah. But he could have been older than he looked. It's hard to tell with the with that animation style. That's true. Everybody That's true. has kind of a general weird look to them <laughs> the only people that looked old were like uh mama fortuna 
She was definitely old. There was no mistaking her <laughs> for a young person. Agreed, agreed. That and the um the original wizard at the castle. Yeah. And <laughs> King Haggard. Yeah. Yeah, he he didn't he, he didn't age gracefully at all. I guess maybe Schmendrick maybe is he he's in his thirties and Molly's in her forties, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, they're I guess they're a couple now, so they're traveling together but at some point i'm not sure how much later it's at night and the unicorn comes to visit him molly i think she's still asleep at the beginning because she doesn't talk to the unicorn and she tells schmendrick that she's happy that he got his wish she's a true magician now and i'm not sure why she knows that it's like <laughs> he didn't he's always had some form of magic but okay he's a true magician now that's yeah. fine his hat got taller <laughs> okay <laughs> she she tells him that she's afraid to go home because she's changed since she was mortal once part of her will always be mortal and she's not like the other unicorns anymore because no unicorn has ever known what regret is and she does and schmedrick is apologizing for making her mortal and she basically says it doesn't matter because it was worth it because all the unicorns are back in the world. And she also thanks him for the regret because I think she appreciates her mortality or her scrap of mortality, she, the, the regret and love. She thanks him for that anyway. And she tells him goodbye and runs away. And Molly has awoken by that point. And Schmendrick and Molly watch the unicorn leave. And then you get end credits and the main theme again. The end. Woohoo! Now, the one part that did get cut, and we kind of discussed it a little bit earlier, was um, the prince was supposed to save a princess, at least as stated by the book. Okay. And they had animated it, but it got cut for, I'm not sure if it was cut for time or what, but hmm. that way he had his happy ending too. So otherwise, you know, He's got no family. He's got friends, but, you know, he's going to go leave them. So dude's kind of alone in the world. Yeah, because his adopted dad got crushed by his own castle. Yep. Which is a hell of a way to go out, I got to tell you. I wonder if he even knew that he was adopted. Did they even tell him? Um, I'm, I don't think he knew by the... In the book, I think he did find out eventually. Because he goes back and... um the town that's there, he becomes the king of the place. Okay. Well, I mean, he was adopted, so might yeah. as well. Yeah. It's certainly a thing. Like, it's a really, I can, I can see the appeal of it as a kid. Watching it for the first time as an adult, there's a lot to take in. But there's mm -hmm. also that thing about suspension of disbelief and understanding what like not trying to make it more than what it is and we've kind of discussed some of that mm -hmm. like you know we keep saying fairy tale logic and all that kind of stuff so overall though i mean the music's really good the voice cast like mia farrow as the unicorn amazing mm -hmm. you know jeff bridges was great the um the lady that played molly uh, uh tammy grimes she was great christopher lee was awesome Angela Lansbury was great. Oh, yeah. Well, Angela Lansbury is always great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this, if it was a movie made today, I would be a lot more hard on it with all yeah. the seeming plot holes. 
I don't know why it maybe it's because I saw it when I was a kid, so I'm more easily able to forgive any inconsistencies. Well, and I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I, I love Gem and the Hologram as a kid, and like that—that's the animation on that is terrible, you know. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I can, you know, I can still look at it and say, "Man, this animation is terrible," but you still get the warm fuzzies because it's something you grew up with. Mm-hmm. I think part of the what also helps this is I like, even though the animation is not like disney quality i really like the animation style it has a a certain 80s charm to it plus the soundtrack it just makes it so unique that Mm -hmm. even though i can see the flaws as a whole i really like it yeah no i I think you make a very good point and well first time i watched it i was i was in my head i was very critical of kind of the the way that they did the mouth movements and stuff because just like Half the time, mm-hmm. the you know, it felt like it was something overdubbed from, from yeah. you know, from some other, you know, it was made in Italy or Japan or whatever. And then it was brought to the States and dubbed over. But, um, you know, besides that, like, like you say, I mean, the unicorns animation, both as a unicorn and as a human, it's really unique. The fact that her human form has a different um, outline, like she stands out from everybody else and they did a really good job to make her almost glow i would say yeah yeah and not in just the the little effects that they add to like her mane or hair when she has it or whatever Mm -hmm. and as we talked about you know the um and again you're following the book but it doesn't have a happy ending you know it's not just you know they ride off into the sunset as you know happy-go-lucky couple it it does Mm -hmm. it ends the way something real life would you know the unicorn goes back to being a unicorn you know the schmedrick and uh, molly end up together and happy but the prince kind of ends up on his own you know he Mm -hmm. loses his dad you know there's a lot of bittersweet to what this is it almost again it, it it does have that lord of the rings thing where it ends and 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 things end well but the world is never the same, you know, for the unicorn, just like Frodo, you know, she can never go back to what she was. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that too. It does have a sort of Frodo ending for her. Mm -hmm. Like life can never be the same because of the journey that she went on. Exactly. She gained so much insight, but by gaining that insight, she kind of separates herself from everybody else. Yeah. I wonder and it was how not much a, of that was inspired by Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I'm sure some of it was. I, you know, I mean, you talk to anyone that kind of grew up in that era. And I mean, even though they didn't have the movies and the books can be difficult to read. There is a massive <laughs> That's an amount. Understatement. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but there is that it is it is high fantasy and it sets uh-huh. a benchmark of what good fantasy can be yeah. in a time when fantasy was still. Like, as far as the genre goes, it was still kind of finding its footing. Mm-hmm. Like, as like if you look at fantasy as a genre, separate from sci-fi, separate from everything else. Yeah, it's it kind of set the tone for well, most of what came after. Like, oh, yeah. anything that you have today has some sort of inspiration from Lord of the Rings. Oh, great. I mean, you could say the same thing of Star Wars, you know, anything that we have that's based in outer space 
can yeah. you know draw inspiration from a lot of a lot of like what star wars was even if it's just you know you grew up loving star wars so you wanted to make your own variation on something set in space mm-hmm. well do you want to let people know where they can find you if they want more from you all right well you can find me here on youtube at trivial theater um you just type that in and you can find me i do a wide variety of random obscure and straight up bad movie reviews as well as a wide variety of collabs with uh, really fun people where we make fun of in a loving way uh, various movies. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at trivia underscore chick. Okay, I'll have that linked below and we will see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of iHeart Animation. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to the iHeart Movies YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-host as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.